Welcome to the Gateway.Live podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray that God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in. Stepping out is never easy. The predictable, the comfortable, the familiar, all gravity. Clenching, holding, restraining. But we are a different breed. We do not accept the status quo. Come hell or high water, we will run boldly into the unknown. In search of purpose, promise, greatness, we are Pioneers. This weekend we're continuing our series on Pioneers, and last week I told you that Uh, This weekend, I would be preaching on Genesis 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. Um, What you need to know about me is I am a liar, obviously, because this week, I'm only preaching on Genesis 12, verse 1, and next weekend, uh, I'll be doing verses 2 and 3, because in Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, and we're going to read it in a moment, God gives Abram some I will promises. But before God gets to the I wills, he issues some you musts to Abraham. In the same way, God does that with us. There are some I will promises that God makes to you. But the only way you're going to experience the I will of God is if you accomplish the you musts God gives you. So let's read in Genesis chapter 12, Starting in verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, leave your relatives, and leave your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. This is the first I will. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who treat you with contempt or curse you. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Okay, God gives in verse two and three, God gives Abram the I will promises. But in verse one, he gives the you must. And the title of this message is, Before I Will, You Must. Obviously, that's from God's perspective. Before I will, you must. Now, we're going to walk through in this message the three things that God says to Abram. And I'm going to give them to you in a little bit of different wording to help you see them maybe a little bit more clearly. Here's point number one. The first thing that God says to Abram is leave your native country. Point number one, pull off the predictable path. The first thing God says to Abram is get off of the predictable path. He says, leave your native country, leave that little town where you knew all the back roads, you know, all the great restaurants, all the hole in the wall dives that are so good. Leave that which is familiar. 
Leave the predictable path. I don't know if you uh, went to college uh, or maybe you're in college, but I had a roommate my freshman year of college that was quite memorable, let's just say. Uh, I went in my freshman year as uh, the athlete. He went in freshman year as an artist. Uh, There's nothing wrong with artists, but you probably know, oftentimes athletes and artists don't always gel well together. I walk in on the first day, he'd moved in before me, He's got Salvador Dali paintings on the wall of horses doing things I never wanted to know that horses even did. And it just, uh, here's this, you know, PK protected church kid walking in going, oh my word, well, like, who who are you? This is the devil reincarnate, you know. It was just, it was different, you know. And we we learned to to get along, but about three weeks into being roommates, we were uh, in our dorm room, and we had bunk beds. He was on one side, I was on the other side. And in the middle of the night, I'm awakened to some weird noises. And your minds are reeling right now as to what noises I was hearing. And I, I wake up, and I see my roommate getting out of bed, and he walks like six steps this way, and then takes a sharp right turn, and takes three steps, and then puts his hand on the wall, and begins using the restroom on his bookcase in the middle of the night. Okay, now I'm watching this going, oh dear God, what's about to happen? Lord, just kill him now. Like, just take him. Like, I, I can't live with this. I've only, I've, I've never even lived away from my parents and this is what's happening three weeks in. Like, just kill him now. He, he finishes his, his business. He comes back three steps, takes a left-hand turn six steps and gets back into bed like nothing happened. We wake up in the morning and the first words out of his mouth, I kid you not, are, what is that smell? Bro, what did you do? (laughs) Are we going to play that game, huh? Why don't you go over to your bookshelf and take a whiff of what you did? He gets up and he goes over and he says, no, 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 please, no. I said, yeah, in the middle of the night. You got up, walked six steps this way, and then took a right turn and walked three steps that way and put your hand on the wall and started peeing on the bookshelf. He goes, he got so embarrassed. He said, that is the exact path to the bathroom in my bedroom and I sleepwalk every night. (laughs) Information that would have been useful when you filled out the roommate report you sleepwalk. Yeah, yeah, man, I sleepwalk and I, I've done some crazy stuff. Like, I, I said, listen, if you touch me in the middle of the night, I'm going to cut your arm off. Your, your painting arm. You know, the good one. I'm so sorry. And I'm so, listen, we can laugh about it, but what's the point? We don't even realize just how unconsciously our subconscious is affected by that which is so predictable. We have these paths in life that we love so much and the reason we love them isn't where they lead, it's because they're predictable. I wonder if in your life you have a path that has become so predictable that even in your sleep you could walk this walk with Jesus Christ because your walk with him has become far too predictable. But the Bible says we are not called to that kind of path. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, For we, as believers in Jesus, 
Walk by faith, not by sight. Here's another way to say that. If you can always see what is up ahead, something is seriously wrong with the way you're walking with Jesus. Our walk with Jesus leads to that which is highly unpredictable. But many of us love predictable. And there's a real reason why. But the problem is when we walk by sight, we are tempted to travel without a savior. When you walk by faith, it's an eyes closed, don't know here from there. The only way to get anywhere is with the divine guide. Some of the most dangerous moments in your walk with Christ are when you open your eyes and walk at the same time. But the question is, why do we pursue the predictable so much? Now, you're going to see very quickly when I was writing this, that this episode of Sesame Street was brought to you by the letter P. So don't get distracted by all the P words in this uh, one-liner. Why do we pursue the predictable? The flesh picks the predictable path in an attempt to purge as much pain as possible from God's process for progress. Let me say it one more time. The flesh picks the predictable path in an attempt to purge as much pain as possible from God's process for progress. You see, the predictable path seems to promise the least amount of pain, but no path can promise less pain when the path Jesus has laid out for us as followers of Jesus Christ involves pain. God's process for your progress will always involve some pain. Aren't you so glad how encouraging this is? But I have to tell you, it would be far too easy for me to sit up here as a pastor and and tell you, it's going to be easy. The path is going to be easy. You follow Jesus and life is going to be easy. No surprises. No challenges. It's going to be easy. You'll be able to do it in your sleep. That's a lie. It's going to be really hard. And it's going to be painful at times. It's already been painful for many of you at times. Why? Because the path following Jesus is anything but predictable. If you have all the answers in life, you're simply communicating you're not in need of God's divine assistance. And if your life is totally predictable, it simply confirms you missed a few divine detours God was hoping you would have already taken by now. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. None of us know how amazing the path really is going to be. No eye has seen, no ear has heard. We can't even imagine the path he has laid out for us. But we will never experience the incredible things on that path if we choose to stick to the predictable one. This was one of my favorite one-liners of this message that the Lord gave me. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Don't pray for paths somebody else has paved. Pray for mountains nobody else has had the guts to climb. I think we spend so much time. Kristen, you know you're loving this one. She's over here amening. 
Don't, don't you spend more time praying for the easy way, if you were to be honest? Yeah, most of us do. Don't pray for a path somebody else has already paved. Pray for a mountain nobody else has ever had the guts to climb. But I've watched this time and time again. Many believers are sitting Indian style at the base of the mountain in faith waiting for God to remove the mountain. Well, Preston, that's just theologically accurate because I can think of an instance where Jesus said some things about moving that mountain. Let me read it to you so we're all on the same page. Mark chapter 11, verse 23. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. Okay, yes, there are some times in life where you're going to need the faith to believe God will move the mountain. There are some of those times, but listen to me closely. Every day of your life, what you need even more is the kind of faith that motivates you to climb the mountain staring you in the face. That's the kind of faith. The million-dollar question for every believer is, what do you do when God doesn't move the mountain? Here's the answer. You go climb it. You climb up that mountain. Because if God doesn't move it out of your way, he is letting you know there's some things I have for you. There's some gifts I have for you along the way as you climb up that mountain. When I was in London uh, a couple months ago, I had a, a really holy moment with the Lord, uh, the likes of which I feel like I've only had one other time in my life, and it was in my early 20s. Um, and the, the same thing that happened in Houston, I was looking at a, a job uh, a church was offering me, and Holly and I were in downtown Houston, and I was going through a tough time, and... and and really needed to hear the Lord, and the Lord pointed me to three scriptures. I was asking him for an answer. Lord, do I leave Gateway and go work for this church, or do I stay at Gateway? And so give me a word about what to do. And instead of giving me a word about what to do, he says, grab your Bible, and it gives me three passages. And I go to each passage, and every passage had to do with pride. And it was one of the most holy moments of my life so far, where the Lord I felt like put his finger in my chest and said, I will not let you go further any longer with this sickness in your soul. And I, I literally felt like he cut my knees out from under me and it totally changed my life. I went from being the most arrogant person you have ever met in your life because of my insecurities to one of the most humiliated people you will ever meet in your life. And I love it. God did something special in Houston that day. Well, in London, a couple months ago, he did the same thing. I'd been praying about some things, and I felt the Lord say, oh, grab your Bible, I'm going to take you to three spots. And I want to read you where he took me. The first passage was Psalm 18:33. It says, God makes me as sure-footed as a deer, enabling me to stand on mountain heights. Then he sends me to Habakkuk 3.19. I wasn't studying the word sure-footed. It says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. And what I felt the Lord saying as I was going down this path with these passages was, it's time to climb higher, Preston. It's time to climb higher. 
And then it was one of those finger in the chest moments where I felt like he said, and I have made you sure footed. And then he leads me to Isaiah 52. And before I read this to you, I want to tell you how I've always quoted this until London, where the Lord really reminded me I was, I've been misquoting this passage since I learned of it. This is how I learned Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. Beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. But that's actually not at all what Isaiah 52, 7 says. It says something far more profound than that. It says this, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. How beautiful are the feet on the mountains. And when I got done reading it, I felt the Lord ask me a question. He said, Preston, what do beautiful feet look like after they have climbed a difficult mountain? And before I could come up with a witty answer, sometimes I like to be witty when I feel like God asked me a question and I was trying to come up with something, you know, that rhymed or something about pedicure, you know. He goes, beautiful feet that have climbed to the mountaintop are bloody. Bloody are the beautiful feet who get off the beaten path and bring the message of the good news to those whom no one has the guts to go find. Bloody, scratched up, scraped up, beaten down feet that are oh so beautiful. Preston, you keep hoping that you're going to be able to keep pretty little pedicured feet by safely going where I've called you to go. But there's only one way to get where I've created you to go. That's to get off the path and bloody up those feet of yours. It's only when your feet get bloodied up off the beaten path that they actually become beautiful in God's kingdom. And here's why. Bloody will always be beautiful in a kingdom built upon the blood. Beautiful are the bloody feet who have the courage to leave the paved, predictable path and chase down those everyone else is afraid to go find. Second thing that God says to Abram, he says, leave your native country. The second thing he says is leave your relatives and leave your father's home. Now, some take this, uh, you must, and turn it into God saying to Abram, forget your family. Like it's time to move out and forget your family. It's not what God's saying. Point number two, I believe God's saying, add to your ancestry. He's not saying forget your family. He's saying add to your ancestry. And I'm gonna give you three ways quickly that you can add to your ancestry. And you might be thinking, well, Preston, I don't have a godly heritage. You know, you were a PK and, and I don't have that story. I, I'm the first believer in Jesus in my family and I don't have a, a godly heritage. Listen, you still have a heritage. You have a biological ancestry and you have a spiritual ancestry, all right? And we need both. And there's value in both, no matter how imperfect either might be. God can use all of it and redeem every bit 
of the ugly in your past. But the first thing you can do to add to your ancestry is honor your ancestors. I'm going to read you a passage in 2 Timothy chapter 1, something that Paul is saying to Timothy in verse 5. He says, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. Here's what Paul is saying, first and foremost. I think this tone was kind of in Paul's voice when he wrote this. Oh, Timothy, I've seen this faith before. Buddy, I've seen this faith. I saw this faith in your grandmother. I saw this faith in your mother. And now I see this same faith in you. This is why I tell you, do not neglect the gift that was given to you when I laid my hands on you. Steward it well. And the reason is because it didn't start with you. This has been passed on to you. Don't drop the baton. Steward it well. I've grown up in church and I've watched some incredible people grow up in the church and they've turned their back on the church because a few things went south while they were in the church. That is no excuse to give up on the bride of Jesus Christ. One of the best ways to honor your ancestors is to take the baton they pass to you and pass it on to those that come after you. Understand This didn't start with you and it's not going to end with you. Honor your ancestors by understanding that. Here's the second way to add to your ancestry. Pay dividends with progress. 1 Timothy 4, verse 14, Paul says to Timothy, Do not neglect the spiritual gift you received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your tasks so that everyone will see your progress. Here's a big question. How do you pay someone back who has invested much into you? Do you write them a check? Or do you pay them back with eternal dividends? Many people have invested into me over the last 40 years. And there is a part of me That once, whenever they see me or whenever they listen or watch a message, I want them to look and go, he didn't used to preach like that when he was 22. So proud he's growing. And listen, the best kingdom investors never take credit for your success. They celebrate it. How do you pay people like that back? It isn't by writing them a check. The best thing you can do for someone who has made an investment in you isn't write them a check. It's to steward the seed they sowed in you by producing more fruit. The best kingdom investors aren't concerned with a return in this life. They're obsessed with you giving them a return, a dividend check they can only open on the other side of the pearly gates. One of the best ways to honor the people who have invested into you is take that seed that they so extravagantly sowed into you and do something with it. Grow with it. And incidentally, if you want to teach your children how to steward the seeds you're sowing into them, don't do so by telling them not to take for granted what you say. Do so by taking the seeds others have extravagantly invested into you and steward them wisely. 
set an example for your children that in this house, we steward kingdom investments well. When people pour into us, we produce fruit as a result. Eternal fruit is immeasurably more valuable than earthly finance. Honor your ancestors by paying them back with progress, with kingdom growth. Then here's the third way to add to your ancestry. Personalize the principles. Personalize the principles. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says, Direct your children onto the right path. And when they are older, they will not leave it. It's interesting that Proverbs 22, 6 does not say, Direct your children onto the path you want. It does not say, Direct your children onto your opinion of the right path. It says, Direct your children onto the right path. And let me say this for every parent who feels like your responsibility is to teach your children your opinion rather than God's principles. A personal opinion gives your children something to talk about, but a godly principle gives your children something to build upon. They don't need to know our opinions. My responsibility as a father is not to teach my kids what I think. My responsibility is to teach my children what God thinks and what God says and what God wants. Not even what daddy wants it's what God wants but I've struggled in this area and the reason I've struggled in this area uh, because I've had some great mentors but I convinced myself of a lie that said this different is the equivalent of dishonoring if I do anything differently than my mentor it's going to come across as dishonoring so I'll help you kind of understand this Uh, practically. So most people know uh, one of my mentors is Pastor Robert Morris and the founder of Gateway in Dallas. And six years ago when we started as a church, he was speaking the second weekend of the church. And we were in the lobby of the Performing Arts Center in Scottsdale. And we were looking out of the courtyard and Pastor Robert says, "I, I don't know if you'll wear jackets out here like we wear back home. And here's how indoctrinated I had made myself. No one did this to me. I did this to myself thinking that anything else was dishonoring. When he said, I don't think you'll wear jackets out here, here was my response. (laughs) That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Man, we wear jackets at Gateway. I'm gonna die in a jacket. (laughs) And over the last six years, there have been six summers in this town where I actually thought I was going to die in a jacket. And when he said, you know, I I don't think you'll wear jackets, I thought, that's crazy talk. I I just do whatever we do. Never prayed about it, never asked God about it, never thought I had a say in the matter. And my own mentor, whom I learned it from, was telling me, I think it's different out here. I'm going, no, 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 it's not different. It's predictable. It's predictable. Wear a jacket. People won't come to church if you don't wear a jacket. That's how I thought sometimes. Like my, my parents and my grandparents' generation are going to leave the church if I, if I don't wear a jacket. If you would have told me four years ago, if you would have stopped me in the lobby downtown and you would have said, Preston, I feel like I have a word for you. I feel like God gave me a picture. I just saw you sitting in a chair preaching a message to our church and you're wearing a pink t-shirt <laughs> two weeks in a row. Here's what I would have said to you. You don't hear God. 
you're so wrong. Like, that's so off. And yet here we are. I know it seems small, but here's what the Lord was helping me understand this summer. Pretty much every morning of my life, I was waking up brain dead because I know the playbook that I grew up under. I know what the next step is. And when you hear the Lord say to you, Preston, you're not even praying about some things. You're not even asking me what I think. You're just consulting with the playbook that you learn. And all you're really doing is choosing the predictable. But that's not what I want for you. One of the best ways to honor your ancestors is to personalize the principles they teach you. My mentors have taught me some incredible principles, but they've also given me some personal lessons. But see, I thought they were the same thing. I'll give you an example. Before I came out here, uh, Pastor Robert sat me down and he said, Press, I want to tell you the one thing I'm praying for you as you go to Scottsdale. And I go, uh, the one thing? Like I have 1,185 things on my prayer list right now and you have the guts to tell me you're only praying for one thing? Well, sensei, tell me what that oh-so-important one thing is so I can stop praying for those other 1,184 things. He said, well, first, before I tell you what I am praying for, let me tell you what I'm not praying for. I was like, that's not what I said, but okay. But, uh, he said, I'm not praying for money or people. I have not talked to God one time about money or people as it relates to you being in Scottsdale. He said, and the reason is, because Preston, if you'll just do everything God tells you to do, those things will never be a problem. But let me tell you the one thing I am praying. I'm praying that God would give you your Tom Lane. It was so anticlimactic. I love Tom Lane. He's one of my mentors, one of my heroes. But I was like, okay, give me the secret sauce. Like, what's the one thing I need God to give me to make this go well? And he said, you're Tom Lane. So I'm, you know, the first thing he says, principle. And I do everything God tells you to do and everything else won't be a problem. I'm writing down principle, principle. Then when he says, the one thing I am praying for you is that God would give you your Tom Lane. Now, I'm writing it down like it was a principle, but I've done this job now for six years and here's what I learned. Looking back, what he was saying was, I could not do what God created me to do without Tom Lane. And I'm praying that God would give you the one thing you need that you could not do what he's called you to do unless you have it. But see, I, it, was, it was really personal because the way he leads, that's how he leads best. Well, I tried that. God gave our church, Pastor Brad Larson, a uh, year in. And so we did the whole number one, number two pastor thing. And it, we tried it for five years. And both of us didn't like it. Neither one of us enjoyed it. And, and the reason he didn't enjoy it is really because God has called him to some things outside of the local church. And I, this is being recorded, and I want it to go in writing. I promise you that in 10 years, 10 years from today, that when you look around, the men and women that God has used to take the gospel to the ends of the earth through digital means, I promise you, one of the three people God has used the most on this planet in this dispensation of time will be Bradley Dean Larson. 
I'm telling you right now. But he and I, and he knows he was created for that. Listen, why would GoDaddy keep trying to pay him $1,000 an hour to teach their best people? Because God's hand is on him in this area. And yet, because I, I took one thing that was said to me, well, you got to have your Tom Lane. So I'm going, oh, Brad, Brad's my Tom Lane. And Brad's going, I'm your Tom Lane. And even Brad was saying, I'm not your Tom Lane. <laughs> and, but it was like, but I got to have my Tom Lane. And you're the, you're the closest thing I've ever seen. You got to be my Tom Lane. We tried for five years. Now, we've, and you, you won't even feel the difference. Uh, it's just more of an organizational thing. It doesn't change anything hardly, except it releases Brad to not be so focused on the day-to-day details of the church and enables him to turn around and look at the landscape of things to help take the gospel to the ends of the earth through digital means. It's a game changer for us as a church, and you'll see that in the coming days. But I never even prayed about it because my mentor said, hey, you gotta have your Tom Lane, and I thought that was a principle. It was actually a personal lesson. So here would be my question for you. You have some people in your life who have taught you much, but do you know the difference between a principle God gave them and a personal experience God let them endure? There's a difference between the two. So what do you do to honor those who've invested much into you? You personalize the principles. Another way to say it is, you take the jacket off if you have to. I look back at video of watching me preach in the jacket on this tiny little stage. And my kids have a saying in Fortnite. It's called tryhards. And every time I watch, I just I look like I'm trying too hard. It's just not me. And that's okay. I'm far more comfortable. One of these weekends, I'm going to preach in camouflage. Because that's where I'm most comfortable. Listen. God didn't ask somebody else to get on this path. He asked me to get on this path, and this path isn't paved. I have to get off the path of the predictable, and so do you, in order to reach the people no one's paying attention to right now. Here's the third thing God says. He says, get there by God. He says, go to the land I will show you. Go to the land I will show you. Here's another way to say it. You can't get where God is calling you to go without the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 73, verse 24 says, You, God, guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. God has a glorious destiny for each one of you. But here's the catch. You have no idea what it is where it is, or how to get there. You don't. If you go study the blueprint God gives Noah for the ark, one of my favorite things you'll find is God coincidentally leaves something out of the blueprint. A steering device. There is nothing to steer the ark. I believe That was not an accident. It was a divine communication for each one of us where God is saying, I've got an incredible place that I've picked out for you, but you don't know what it is, you don't know where it is, and you most certainly don't know how to get there. And the only way you're gonna get there isn't by handing me the steering wheel. 
The only way you're going to get there is by not having a steering wheel in the vehicle of your life. Because we all know if we hand the steering wheel to him, if he doesn't drive as fast as we want him to and doesn't take the shortcuts we want him to, what do we do? We push him over and we take control of the steering wheel. And God brilliantly communicates, not just to Noah, but all of us. This life only works when there's no steering wheel. It's the only way to follow God. What does it look like to make Jesus Lord of your life? It looks like removing the steering wheel from your life. I told you a little bit about what happened in London, but I want to give you a picture that the Lord gave me that was a game changer for me. For the last month, you've been watching the series roll in where there's a a man running towards a forest with an ax. And it's intentional. I just haven't told you why. When I was in London and the Lord just started really dialing in with me on this season of my life. Um, This doesn't happen to me very often at all. But I felt like God gave me a picture. And I was on this pristine highway and I was flying. And I was going by all these exits and not paying attention to one of them. I wasn't paying attention to how much fuel I had in the car. I wasn't paying attention to the beauty along the way. I was only paying attention to one thing and that was staying on the path, the piece of asphalt right in front of me. And this picture was a little bit like a movie and I felt like uh, I heard the Lord say, um, I I want you to pull over. And I, I pulled the car over and I looked out to my right and off in the distance there was this gorgeous forest and when I looked at it I knew immediately no one had ever been in it and it even seemed like no one had ever even noticed it and I felt the Lord say let's go for a walk and before I even knew it we were standing on the edge of this forest and I heard myself saying God about It seems like no one's been here, he said, they haven't. Why why has no one figured this out? Why, why, Why hasn't someone occupied this territory yet? It's right here, ripe for the taking. And he didn't answer my question. He just started talking. And he said to Preston, To some, I say, lift up your head and take a look around, for I am giving you everywhere you can see. He said, to others, I say, put your foot down, for everywhere your foot treads, I am giving to you. But son, I'm not saying either one of those things to you or your church. He said, look in your hand, and I looked down, and in my right hand was an ax. He said, here's what I'm saying to you and to us as a church. 
everywhere your axis clear, I will give to you. It's not gonna happen on the beaten path. It's gonna happen by leaving the predictable path. If you'll have the guts to climb and chop, to climb and chop and chase down people no one is even paying attention to right now and bring them the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I will give you every square inch of ground you clear. And I just sat there weeping. And something rose up in me. And I felt like for the first time in my entire life, and I know this sounds stupid and weak, but I felt for the first time in 40 years, I stood up on my own. And I saw myself grab this ax and start walking into the forest with the confidence of the God of the universe. That picture is not just for me, it's for us. It's gonna be hard. It's not going to be predictable. But I believe it's sitting right in front of us. There are people who don't know Jesus that don't even, they've never even heard of us. But if we'll just get off the predictable path, we will find them and they will find Jesus as a result of it. But I can't keep playing it safe on the path of the predictable. I can't. People are dying and going to hell and they're dying off the beaten path and it's our responsibility to go chase them down. Climb and chop, climb and chop. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I spent a lot of time this week praying about this moment right now. This is meant to be a holy moment by the Lord. And what I've been praying is in this moment, at both of our campuses, that God would give you a picture, that God would hand you an ax. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want us just to do two things right now. I want us to just quietly in the presence of the Lord look at whatever he is trying to show us and listen to everything he wants to say to us. Shut down the distractions, push everything else to the side. Just close your eyes. I believe he's gonna show you something picture so clear you could spend the next 20 years of your life walking it out. And I believe he's going to say something to you in this moment that he's been waiting since the beginning of time to whisper in your ear. Let's look and listen.
Jesus, I need to see you right now. Would you open the eyes of my heart, Lord? Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. Oh, I need to see you. I need to hear. Freedom and the kingdom is here. 
Thanks for joining us on Gateway.Live. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com.